Welcome back to Pineapple Podcast, and today we have been joined by Mark O'Brien. I said it was going to be a special one, so let's get straight into it. Thank you very much, anyway, Mark, for coming on to the podcast. Um, no problem. If it's all right, we'll get straight on with it. So, touching on your youth career, you started out at Cherry Orchid, is that right? Yeah, I started at Cherry Orchid like when I was seven or eight. Yeah. Um, and like I Luke's, was with them for about 10 years. Luke's just been having a look and he's noticed some great footballers coming out of there. Uh, Connor Salmon, weren't it, Luke? I mean, he wasn't top pick on the ones I was listening to. Yeah. Um, Andy Reid, I think, was one of them. And Ender Stevens, who's obviously having a cracking time Absolutely. in Prem Sheffield United, aren't they? So it's obviously a bit of a hotbed. Yeah, look, I've known, I've known Ender Stevens my whole life. He played for the same team my brother was in. And my brother flew away at the same time Ender did. So I've known Ender my whole life. Did you ever think he'd go on to... Uh, be a Premiership left-back? At the time, he was probably one of the last ones out of that Cherry Orchard team to get a, an opportunity to fly away. And obviously, like he had to go through it more, go League of Ireland, and then from get spotted in League of Ireland, whereas normally in Ireland, from the age of like 15, 16, um, you get up and fly away. So like he kind of stayed strong with it and then got an opportunity to fly away. And he's been brilliant. Like he's... He, Exactly like how he always played back in Ireland. He was just unfortunate that he didn't get a chance to get picked up at a young age. Yeah. How did your journey begin then, Mark? So playing over in Ireland and then getting scouted by Derby. How did that all come about and then sort of managing to get into the Derby Academy? Like when when yeah, when I was playing back in Ireland and all like that, uh, like it, it, it's a competitive league, like the Dublin League and, and stuff like that. Like it's not like as you'd call it, academy football over here, it is like real competitive and you start getting picked for like um, Dublin squads. So when you get 12, 13, you get picked for a Dublin squad, which like best players in Dublin would go into a tournament against like all the other counties. And then uh, after that, you have the opportunity on the 14s, 15s, you get chosen for your very first order squad. So like I start getting like called up into that. And I had a couple of trials um, before I went to Derby. I was I went to Blackburn, Man City, and Liverpool, and I was so close to signing for Blackburn. I was there uh, about four or five times, and then Derby came in, and like me, me first ever trial with Derby, um, they were playing in the under 14s. They were playing Everton away on the Saturday, so I had to fly over to Liverpool Saturday morning at around seven o'clock met up with the team at around 10 o'clock and then I had to play a game by 11. And that was my first time meeting anybody or seeing anybody around Derby and stuff. <laughs> and uh, we beat Everton 3-2, I scored the winner and then I had to fly home that night. So it was it was like probably like the best way a trial could ever, could ever have went for me. So then Derby said they were interested in having me over for a week's training. <laughs> so once I went over there and I like got a feel for the place, like I loved every minute of it. Like everyone was like so welcoming and it felt like a home from home where you could easily settle in. And like I say, that that probably swayed me more to wanting to sign for Derby for the whole factor of when it feels like a home from home, you don't have to, you miss out the middleman of that homesickness where you just go over there and enjoy everything. And everyone made me so welcome that, like I said, it was one of the probably best decisions I made from such a young age. Yeah, personally for me, it was the best thing you did because when you were coming through Derby Academy, absolute loving it. <laughs> absolute <laughs> classic, Mike. But uh, 
when you did sign for Derby, you was named the Academy Player of the Year. Was it the same year that you was named the the Irish uh, Academy Player of the Year as well, the under sixteens? Yeah, I was named like the Academy Player of the Year, and then I was named Ireland under sixteens Player of the Year that same year. So it was kind of a really good year for me. Um, and obviously, it was I was lucky enough that when I did fly over, um, once I got registered when I turned sixteen. Uh, I made my debut at the end of that year, so like it was, it was kind of like a whirlwind of a year. Like to go over from my first professional club to then play for the first team at the end of that season, it was it was crazy. Were that beyond your your sort of expectations then, Mark? I, I mean, you you come in as a kid and you do have them lofty ambitions, don't you? Because you, you you're sixteen and you know what I mean. You just come yeah, from- like. I did at the time, like I was thinking to myself, like once I went over there, like obviously you just want to play and train and like your whole goal is to play for the first team. But like you see that there's like so many first year, second year scholars. I was still only a schoolboy when I first went over. So like it was it was one of them things that I knew Derby like really wanted me and I knew they, they thought highly of me. But at the time I was like training with the under 18s. But at the time I was only able to play with the under 16s until I could register at 16 so once november came and then i was able to play a couple of more youth team games and then somebody dropped out of reserve side and then i got fast-tracked into the reserves and then done okay in the reserves and it it was just one of them things that like everything just went from better to better to better all in the space of a year where obviously it's a dream for something like that to happen but i probably never expected it because I, i i like you see that force team that they had at the time there was albrickson there was Leo Noyatanga, there's Robbie Savages, there's all people like that. And you're thinking to yourself, you've seen these lads play in the Premier League, you've seen these lads have like a massive career. And then to find myself training with them for a full week leading up to that last day of the season, like it just felt so surreal. But I knew like I made it like it was I knew I made like the right decision once once like all that was happening. I knew Derby like was was like great to me. Yeah. What what was that like then for the more experienced players with the with the Sort of decent welcoming, or I've heard mixed things on Savage from other 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 professionals in some autobiographies and stuff I've read. I just wonder what that's like for a young lad coming into a team with a massive personality that he is. Yeah, it, it was brilliant. Like, in all fairness, he was probably like the one that kind of, if you can say, like toughened you up as a sixteen-year-old, because it's like when I was in the youth team and like he, when he wasn't in favour with Paul Jewell at whatever time. He would train with the youth with the youth side every so often, and like he'd come down and train with us, and he was kind of like a massive personality. You'd hear them before you see him, and it's one of these things that, as like time was going on, like he, he took a real liking to me because the very first session he had with the youth team, and I remember him speaking about it. Um, his very first session with the youth team, like he went to get on the ball, and as he turned out with it, I went like I smashed him in a tackle. And I remember I went over, I was like, sorry, picked him up and everything. And then that's when he turned around and I remember him saying it before that that's when he took a liking to me to see it as I wasn't afraid to like tackle or I wasn't afraid to put myself about. And obviously you have your ups and downs with him. Like he, he was like a big kid at times in and around the changing rooms. Um, like if he needed a cup of tea, like I was always the one. Like he, he bypassed everyone just to ask me to make him a cup of tea and he would just do loads of stuff like that. But then, obviously, me as a youth team player, and you have a force team player like taking such an interest in you, yeah. you would do anything. Like, if he asked me to clean his boots, you'd clean them. If he asked you to make a cup of tea, you'd make it. 
And it was kind of, it's that old school way of saying, right, earn your keep kind of way and earn the respect. Yeah. And then I had the opportunity to go down and train with them um, for the week leading up to the Watford game away. And uh, when I went down and trained with them, like they were all great with me. But that, again, matured me so much quicker because you had to start having a voice for yourself and speaking up for yourself. Then I had to carry what I was doing in the youth, in the youth side and the player that I was that, I always loved being a voice and organising, so I couldn't kind of let it, like, I couldn't, like, not tell someone to drop back or push on or do things to what yeah. I, like, I had to kind of bring down my own game. So that's what one thing they said they were really impressed with, that, like, I was very vocal. But once I come off the pitch, they wouldn't have heard a word out of me because I never knew what to say or how to speak to them. But once <laughs> you're on the pitch and you're in that different environment, the kind of football takes over and you just kind of get, get involved with everyone. And, they were every last player were like real welcoming and they were actually like saying how well I was doing which gave me that confidence to think like yeah. I'm, I'm doing okay here and then obviously going into the last day of the season like it, it was going down on that bus it was probably the quietest bus or the quietest I've <laughs> ever been going down on a bus and um, it, it was just one of them experiences that like you remember you remember parts of it but it all happened so quickly like if it, it's something that I remember like the bits of when I got a chance to come on or like I remember just after half time they were three 0 down and as I'm sitting on the bench, the uh, player next to me, Mark Dudley, he was on the bench for the first time and he looked over and he got his shoulder and said to me, uh, you're going on after 60 minutes. So I thought he was trying to wind me up and I, and I kind of said, nah, no way. So I looked up at the board and there was like 57, 58 minutes gone. And then he got in the turn around and goes, OB, get warm. And, like, get warm, like, at 16. I didn't know what I was doing. I just jogged up and down the sideline, trying to keep, like, the nerves in, trying to, like, stop myself from getting sick and everything. I didn't know what to think. And then just before I went on, like, uh, Noiser Clough turned to me and just said, kick it and head it and be a defender. And they were 3-0 down, so there wasn't really pressure going on. It was more of just go out and see how he does. And I remember, like, everything went, like, so well. And as I said, from the time of Robbie Savage making him cup of tea is, Whatever they did well in the game, he was the fourth player to come over and pat me on the back and say, well done, OB. Like, great header, great tackle. And yeah. that gave you that little, like, stick your chest out moment to think, like, I'm, I'm loving this. Cleared one off the line and everything just went, like, amazing for me. So, like, it was an experience that, like, I do remember, like, loads of it. But I'd love to be able to watch it back to see how bad it probably was. But I was just <laughs> in the height of it thinking it was great. <laughs> it's good to hear about, like, someone like Savage. Because you just... It, Obviously, from our perspective, we've never met him. We're, we're unlikely to. And you just get this kind of media-led idea of what the guy's like. But that's the real Robbie Savage there, is obviously seeing a young lad nervous, coming on for his first game, and someone who's, who was making him bruise that last year. Yeah, <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. He, he, he was brilliant. And, and that's the thing that, like, I was... A lot of people, obviously, as you see through the media, you see whatever you might think different stories, but... Yeah. As a as a person himself for young players coming through, if he took a liking to you or if he seen you were had the right attitude and he seen that you had some talent, he was the first person to put his arm around your shoulder, he was the first person to slag you off if he had to, he's the first person to tell you well done. But also because you're in a men's environment and like you had to this is what I was meaning by growing up you have to grow up so quick was the fact of if I wasn't training how he wanted me to train, as in in the right intensity, or if I made the wrong pass or I didn't take the right touch, he was the first one to let me know as well. And that was him as a captain. Yeah. 
yeah. he always had standards as well. So even though I was a young player, I was getting treated as a senior pro, even though I'm still only 16, 17, which is what matured me and made me grow up so much quicker. And like you say, like there's players like that in and around you. And then you get like all the other players that were in and around the team. And you have like Rob Hulses and you had like Paul Connolly, Steve Davis, Chris Commons, all these different players. And at the time, you see them as teammates, but also you see them as like, these are like first team players. Like I was still in that kind of off phase, but at the same time, I had to kind of get my head around it very quickly. And luckily I, I got given the opportunities to do that. Yeah. That's awesome. No, that's brilliant. Um, so you do have quite a special story as well, Mark. So in 2009, you did undergo that heart surgery to correct valve problem. How was that for you when you was just breaking that first team as well? Well, that was the thing. That that was the beginning of like what football can be, like the roller coasters where the force, like the, the year previous or the summer previous to that, like I make a force team debut, I'm in front of 20,000 people, like you're on top of the world, everybody's yeah. patting you on the back, everybody wants to know your name and you're kind of like hitting the ground running. So the following season, you're thinking, right, get back into pre-season and I could make some more appearances and I'll still be 16, 17 and I'll still be learning but I could make more appearances here and I knew it was something I wanted to do. So then, knowing that I needed to have the heart operation knocked me for six because I had doctors and surgeons tell me I might not be able to play professional football ever again. So, at that time, like, I, like my only question and I've said it loads of times that I was probably lucky to be to be like naive enough to believe um once the doctor said, Well maybe you have a chance of playing but don't like don't get too carried away, you probably won't have a chance of playing. But once I heard that I had a chance, I was naive enough to try and believe it and just push for it and push for it as much as I could. And I think once once I kinda had that glimmer of being able to play and previously like if I didn't if I didn't play in front of a force team or I didn't play in front of the stadium I don't know what my decision might have been mm. because obviously I had the taste of force team football so soon so I knew what I wanted whereas if I was still in the U team still with the 16s and 18s you don't know if you wanted to be able to progress that or not mm. and that's why I say sometimes I was lucky enough but then once the doctors gave me that I'd say 20% 10% chance of you might be able to they said to me, like, your valve might only last you a year. They said it would last you a maximum of five years. So I just thought, right, I'm going to have a five-year career of give it me best and play each year to the best I can and see where it takes me. And I got 10, 11 years out of it. And like I said, I've got a career to look back on and be proud of. So I've had a lot of people say, do I regret, like, not being able to finish out my career? Like, I had a longer career than anyone ever gave me. So I can never, like, look back and regret. No, I think that's a really positive way to look at it as well, Mark. I was reading an interview, I think, that you'd done with The, the Guardian and, and that stuck out to me. You'd, you'd been given five years and that's sort of what you've, you've stuck on to. You exceeded your, your five years. So you look back, on, look back fondly on, on the time you did have rather than something you can't change. You can't, you can't get these years now by, yeah. you know what I mean? So, so I think it's, it's a really positive way that, that you're looking at it. But that's the only way that I've been kind of, like, I was kind of, in a way, once I had that force running session back and once I had the force training session back and, I like, I was lucky enough to have 
like such a great physio and like such a great fitness coach too. Steve Haynes, he's still there. And Neil Sullivan, who was the physio at the time, like I was so lucky to have people like that because once I started, because it's all new to them as as much as it was to me, like they're used to rehabbing knees, ankles, like yeah. nobody knew how to rehab a heart. So we just had to kind of, to an extent, trial and error. If I jog and I feel okay, okay, I'll try it again and see if I feel any better. And I'll just keep trying it and keep trying it. And when I was progressing, I remember I went back for me, I think it was my six month checkup. And the doctor asked me, how do you feel? Like walk on this treadmill, see how you feel. And I was exceeding all their expectations. They were like, oh, like you're well ahead of schedule. And I was like, well, I said, I can jog on this treadmill if you want me to. I said, I don't need to walk anymore. And then they were kind of surprised how things were going. And as I said, I had the operation in the October of that year. And I got back playing by April April time for the U team. My first game was like Man U away um, on MUTV on, in, the under, in, the youth, in the youth side. So it kind of gave me peer, it gave me man and dad back home a chance to watch me on MUTV to kind of see how is he going to be, what's he going to be like, is he going to be the same mark that we've known him like through his whole life? And like I say, once I got back into a game situation, it was like a flick, like it's like a switch flicks in your head, and you're back into throwing yourself in front of things and making tackles, winning headers, and and that was the kind of boost that I needed to get that, and I made the first team bench by the end of that season, so. Even though it was a down season, it was still a successful season to say, right, I'm back. I've made it back. Now let's try and progress it and get further on. And like you, like I said, there's like no regrets to anything. And to be able to look back on a 10-year career, whether I had ups and downs or medical problems or not, I look back at it and say it's a 10-year career to what loads of people would dream of and loads of people would want with the experiences that I've had. So I can't like look back and think, oh, well, what what, what another five years would have given me because... I didn't know I was going to get ten. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you did. You did exactly that as well in 2011, 2012, and 2012, 2013 season. You featured a lot more regular as well, didn't you? And to play under Nigel Clough, what was that like? I loved every minute of it. He, he, he was the reason probably why I've had a career. In all fairness, because I see it as. Like I know, a lot of people have like mixed opinions on him and what he what he's like to certain individuals, and but for me personally, like he was probably the reason why I had a career because he stuck by me through like the difficult times with the heart operation, and I got offered a new three and a half year deal before the heart operation, so it gave me the opportunity to get back fit. Whereas, um, if I was in a different club or under a different manager, they might want to wipe their hands with it because sometimes. I've learned as time's gone on, you're only just another number in football, really, where you're out, the next one's in, or the next U team player coming through. And he stuck by me through it all. And when I was home in Dublin, he would phone me to make sure I was doing me walking. And as I said, he kind of made me the player I was. Like, he made, he made, like, the attributes that I had, but he made the basics and he made me, like, learn them well. It wasn't like he was trying to change me or do anything different. He let me be the player I was, but he just kind of made like helped me perfect it in a way where he says, right, I want me defenders to defend, I want me midfielders to create, and I want me strikers to score. And kind of dumbed it down so easily where he wanted me to throw myself in front of the ball. He wanted me to stick my head in, but that's something that I always loved doing as a defender. And anyway, I always loved being that old-fashioned defender. So it kind of went hand in hand where... He and he likes his defenders to be that way, and that's the defender I was. So he encouraged that, 
and then he tried to like tweak it as I went along into a force team. Now and I had to develop my game slightly where right, I have to step out a little bit more on the ball. I have to take a touch and like I can't just head it aimlessly anywhere. I have to try and start picking people out with a header and not just header it for as far as I want to head it and stuff. So he was someone that was brilliant to me on and off the field. And like I say, for, for him sticking by me through, obviously certain injuries I had at the time, the heart stuff. And even after this heart operation, like I had a phone call off him to see how I was and how everything's going. And if That's I need close. help or anything after football, like just give him a call. And if I'm ever up around Derby, like don't hesitate to like say hello and stuff. So like I say, like wow. it, it was, it, you don't need, like I said, he didn't have to try and call me after this heart operation because mm. I haven't not, like I haven't been under his management in the last six, seven years. So it still goes to show the person that he is. And if, like the way that I've always kind of dealt with it is that he if you if you do well by him and you, he knows you're giving 100% and you don't kind of get carried away with yourself and you don't like create an attitude or a chip on your shoulder he's as loyal as can be as a manager and you don't see that sometimes as yeah. much nowadays yeah and that's why I love doing this where we're talking to uh, pros and ex-pros because you do see behind that curtain you see you get to hear stories like that, like again, like Luke said about Robbie Savage and and Nigel Clough. Does the, the media all all paint them in in a different way sometimes? Yeah. So it is, it is really nice to. And you just see that that that's what the real Nigel Clough is as well. Like we've said, because I mean that's not something that's been done for an article. It's not publicised. That's a background thing that would make him look great. You know, I won't name names. There'll be some footballers who do things purely for the publicity. You know. Um, knowing that there'll be a camera there to pick it up happening. He, that's just the reality of what he is like as a man, that he's done that purely out of, you know, feeling for you and what you were under him. And I think that that's, well, that's a, great to hear that. Yeah, that's exactly it. And, and and like I say, it doesn't just go to show that, like, obviously, if he phoned me after the forced heart operation because I was a derby player, yeah. like, I only had a phone call off him a few months ago to see how I was doing with this one. And it's like... It's like it, it. It's the same as you know the kind of players that he always trusted in because anywhere that he went, whether it was Sheffield United or whether it was Burton Albion, mm. Jake Buxton was always in and around them. John Brayford, Sean Barkers, all people like that that he knew he could trust that were really like nice, genuine, strong people and great characters. Mm. He knows what he's going to get out of them, and like you say, like I hope that like. I've seen myself in that kind of bracket along with that because, like I say, he, he's someone that still stayed in touch through so much, even even till this day now. And he, he still like has his has his time to say like if if I ever need a hand in anything or if I ever need help in anything, he's going to be there. And all I have to do is just call. Don't hesitate to call and ask. And like you say, it it all depends on how you are by him. Because don't get me wrong, like. <laughs> I've had I've had the old hairdryer treatments plenty of times off him as well, where just because he might like you as a player, when I was 16, 17, he used to turn around and I'd get like slated left, right and centre from him. <laughs> and I used to sometimes think, because I was still only young, I used to think, oh, he hates me. Mm-hmm. But then I had the likes of Sean Barker and Buxton who were able to pull me to one side and say, he doesn't hate you. The reason he's actually been on you so much and being so aggressive with you is because he knows the potential and he knows the player you are, so he wants the best for you. And then once you get told that from a different pro, you kind of accept it and go, oh, well, that's good, because then they said to me, 
if he wasn't having a go with you and he was just letting you do what you wanted and you were making a fool of yourself, then that's when you need to worry because yeah. it, it means he's not interested or doesn't have a slight interest in you whatsoever. So I kind of took it in all a good way. But like I said, some of the words that he's come out and said to me in the past <laughs> are, are, are very... Uh, very fruitful. <laughs> I can't picture it. He looks like such a mild-mannered guy, doesn't he? Just yeah, short. Yeah. Know. I don't know how to I, describe I, I, it. He just looks yeah. like quite an amiable chap who probably plays like chess on a weekend or something. <laughs> yeah, he loves he, he loves his baseball. Loves his baseball. Oh, right. Loves his cricket and stuff like that. And um, like you say, like he, he he loves all that side of things. But um, I've had a. Uh, like he, he does, he does have the managerial side where things aren't going so well. He let you know about it, and sometimes when I've been on the receiving end of it, you just want to like shrink as small as you can get because some of the words he come out and say. But then I, I've always said it. It's like sometimes you need that where it's quite, it's made me the player that I was in my career because it it gave like because I had to mature so quickly, grow up so quickly, and from a young age, he's trusted me to play me at the age of 17, 18, 16 even. Yeah. And to still trust in a 16, 17-year-old to have that on his shoulders to say, no, I want you to lead the team. And I remember when I was only 17 or 18, I was captain in a reserve game for the force team against Port and Albion. And I used to always think, and if I was out injured um, and I'd come back from the injury, he used to always be like, oh, it's great to have you back. Right, you're starting this week and you're doing this. And, he just made me feel as though, do you know what? Like he, he wants you to succeed, and he wants me to do well. And, and like I say, like there's there's a lot I owe to him and Derby as a club for sticking by me for so long. Yeah. yeah. So from Derby, you did have a loan spell up at Motherwell. What was that like? Uh, having a loan spell out to in Scotland. Uh, it was interesting. Like I did actually enjoy it. Like, but I didn't know what to expect because obviously Steve McLaren was the manager at the time. And we were away in Austria um, on a pre-season tour. And I got a call off Stuart McCall to see if I wanted to go out on loan. So um, after I got off the phone with Stuart McCall, uh, we got back into Derby. And I remember I went into Steve McLaren's office and I was just asking him, like, what does he think about going to Scotland? Like, what's his views on it? And if I, if I do well up there, or do I need to go out and get games so I can be in your plans or anything like that? And at the time... Uh, at the time, the conversation that we had, I wasn't expecting because he kind of said to me, uh, he turned around and basically said to me, he was just like, you've been at Derby five, six years now. And uh, he said, it's been like a roller coaster where he said, now it's kind of, he said, just flattening off. And he said, it's just plateauing. And I was like, right. And he was like, so I think if you go to Scotland, he said, it's all new experiences. He said, it, it creates a new career bubble for you. And he said, you can go out and gain new experiences. And I and like, I kind of sat there thinking, like, what are you kind of getting at? And he said, because he said, with the players I've got in, he said, I'm looking to probably get a couple of more in. And he said, we're moving in a, in a different direction. And um, I just think you need to go out and get different experiences and maybe move on from here. So at the time, I obviously didn't take it too well. I was just kind of thinking to myself, that's not the talk I kind of came in for. That's it. Like, to kind of hear that I'm getting released, really. Yeah. But now I look back at it and say, I appreciate his honesty for what he actually said to me because I've experienced that on the complete opposite side where a manager tells you what you want to hear and does the complete opposite. So 
once I went to Scotland, I loved every minute of it. Um, like they were a great group of lads. Like I got welcomed in so well. I got on with everybody who was there, and it was just unfortunate that halfway through a season, um, Stuart McCall stepped down and Ian Barraclough came in, and it's a new manager, new ideas, and I wasn't his kind of player, but. So we, me and him kind of had like a, a few discussions back and forward when he first came in and he wanted to bring up 10 new loan signings and he wanted to change the whole team, the whole everything. So like there was a lot of people that weren't too happy. And uh, he brought up a centre-back. It was younger than me at the time, a couple of years younger. But like obviously he was a lot taller because I was never the tallest centre-back. And everybody used to say that to me, like you're not the tallest. So they never understood how I could like win so many headers or whatever. So he used to say to me, um, I'm going to come in, he, has, he, he goes, he has a bigger presence than you. Mm. And I kind of looked at him and thought, well, what does that mean? And he said to me, well, I just think he has more of a presence. And I said, okay, I said, have I, be have I been beaten in the air? No. I goes, have I been beaten like for pace? No. I said, do we, do we not win me tackles? And he goes, yeah, no, you said you win your fair share. He said, you win your headers because you're aggressive. And I said, so why am I being dropped? <laughs> And he goes, oh, just because I think he has a bit more uh, presence and physical about him. So I just kind of said, right, well, obviously, if the shoe doesn't fit, then I'm not doing anything wrong. But at the same time, I'm doing everything wrong just because I can't grow. So <laughs> I used to just look at it and say, well, it is what it is. And then I kind of got a handful of games under Ian Barraclough. And um, at the end of that season, I, I didn't get signed. Like, I knew I was getting released by Derby, but... I didn't get signed by Motherwell because he said he wanted a squad of 18 men that could train on and like an AstroTurf and grass at the same time because when it snows up there, it's bad. And I obviously, with previous injuries that I had on my knee, I couldn't train on AstroTurf. So that was his excuse for not signing me, which I just thought, you might as well just tell me out straight that you think I'm shit or something. Don't yeah. just tell me that it's because I can't train on AstroTurf because I'm sure you'd make an exception for someone you want. But yeah, I, I just kept it to myself and I just thought, it is what it is, and I was lucky enough that I went back to Dublin in the summer and uh, I got a call off the Luton manager and I flew over to Portugal with Luton. Yeah, I'm going to say, you're very much the modern-day centre-back anyway. You've got pace, ball-playing and tackle <laughs> hard. I mean, now you'd probably be playing in Premier League with <laughs> Arsenal. <or something>. Um, <laughs> honestly, I think I think if I was born about 30 years like previous to everything that went on and I was in the... Like the the earlier years, I would have loved to play in the Premier League because you were actually allowed to tackle them. I wouldn't get away with half of the stuff that would have went on. I was lucky I dropped the league too. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a, a weird comment, though. Like when it the, Ian Barraclough, you say when he's talking about presence and presumably just thinking his centre backs have to be six foot three to be able to fulfil the position. Someone should just Google image search Fabio Cannavaro for him or something like that and say, "Well, that's something that my dad always like said to me." It. My dad always said the same to me. My dad always said, um, like, you don't have to be the tallest to be centre-back. And he used to always use Cannavaro as yeah. uh, as an example because he used to always say, well, he's only five foot ten, and he got World Player of the Year. So he said, height doesn't matter. He said, it's all about knowing your position and it's yeah. all about, like, your positioning or winning your tackles, winning your headers and stuff. And, like, it, it's something that never bothered me for height. And, if anything, it kind of spurred me on to where if teams were playing longer balls and they were kind of always putting it on me. Like, I, I used to love a game like that because I'd love winning headers and I'd used to love, like, making tackles. And um, as you say, like I, like, I loved every minute in Scotland. And even for a chance to play at Celtic Park, it was 
it was like I, I think it was me third or fourth game up there and like I always used to say I'd love to go like watch Celtic play in a European night the atmosphere looks amazing so my first time ever in Celtic Park was playing there which was like crazy to me but I loved every minute of it yeah. What was the standard difference like Mark for you going from the championship did you notice a step down I, I, I've always perceived it to be below um, championship it's bit, standards at Yeah it's, it's, it's a bit of both really that's the thing like I know a lot of people don't talk like Scottish football because all you ever see is Celtic and Rangers if it's live on Sky Sports. So yeah. you don't really get to see much else. I think it, the only way that I was able to describe it, it's like three, four leagues mixed into one. It's like League Two, League One, yeah. Championship, high-end championship, all in one league. Yeah. And maybe you might get Celtic or Rangers that could be in the Premier League, but maybe not. But I always seen it as it's all them leagues mixed into one. So you are going to get like your one or two League Two sides that are going to scrap it out and like you say you have championship sides that could be like the Aberdeens and Hearts and mm. Hibernias and people like that that could be in League 1 as well so there is a real good mixture of a, of a standard up there so like I've always said to loads of people if you do go up there I said it's not something where you think you're going to go up there and have an easy time because you've played in England yeah. and that's something that I noticed straight away so it's, it, it is a bit strange though because you go from one week playing at Ross County away and you have 1,500 fans there and then the following week you have Celtic and there's 55,000. So like, <laughs> like that's the contrast up there between the two sides. So it, it's crazy but it is actually really enjoyable and, it's, and it, it, it's a good enough standard that if you were to have a career in Scotland you'd be doing really well for yourself as well. Yeah, yeah you look at Joey Barton. He left Burnley. I think he said himself, I'm going to Rangers to win titles. And he, he came back with his tail between his legs back to Burnley because he went up there with the attitude of it'll be a cakewalk, I'm Joey Barton. Yeah. And got absolutely and I, pounded every week. All Scottish lads were like, fucking kick shit out of you every week. You know, that, <laughs> yeah. He admitted that. That's, that's exactly how it is. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's exactly what that. it is. A lot of people look at it and a lot of people think, right, you only really have to deal with the likes of Celtic and Rangers. Everyone else is going to be like, you'll easily walk all over them. And, the one thing that I learned is that like there's so much good talent up there that a lot of people probably stay up there because it's a comfort zone for them. A lot of people stay up there because they're earning a good living up there. So it's not the be all and end all for every Scottish player wants to go play in England. Like it's a it's a good enough standard to hold around and make a good career up there. Yeah. 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 So fast forwarding your career a little bit past Luton and Southport. You went to join Newport County. And what was your most memorable game for Newport County? Because I know you made 103 games for them. Um, there's been a couple of memorable ones, but I think obviously the the goal I scored for like the Great Escape is obviously going to be like the main attribute of of everything because that was the reason why, or that was like the platform of how we were able to progress over the next two three years after that. And I never understood that because. Six months previous to that, I was training with Luton's under-18s because the manager didn't want me. So I went from Luton under-18s because the manager tried to get rid of me to then having an opportunity at Newport and then six months later playing the same league as, as Luton <laughs> and score a winner. In that. And, and I remember when I met up with Graham Wesley at the time, and a lot of people, like you hear loads of stories about Graham Wesley, like he's a, a, a bit eccentric. I want to ask um, about him. <laughs> yeah, like you, you, you can ask a few things after I tell you this. Uh, <laughs> like I met, I met with him in, I met with him in, in a hotel 
um, just outside of London because he was on his way back up from Newport. And uh, before I went there, Alan Shane, who was at Luton at the time, an Irish lad, I was staying with him um, for because I, I didn't have anywhere else to stay because I was looking to move out. So I was I was lucky enough to, that I was able to stay with him. So once I told him I was meeting Graham Wesley for a meeting, he said to me, whatever he says to you, make yourself seem like the best player on the air, on, on, on the planet. He said, if he says to you, do you want to be the best player in the league too? You say, if you, he said, if you say yeah, he'll see that as a negative. Say you want to be the best player in the Premier League. He said, say you want to be the best player in the world. Because if you say, I want to be the best in the league too, he'll turn around and say, but why not League One? Like, you'll always have an answer. <laughs> so I kind of took that on board and I thought, okay, I'll, I'll see what this is like. So we met in a hotel and uh, we were sitting there and he basically just sat there with me. and was just like, oh, do you want a coffee, whatever? And I was like, yeah. So we sat there and he, he kind of, you, you could see he was kind of looking me up and down when he shook my hand. They kind of probably think this fella is not a centre-back. <laughs> so I just, I just sat there and he was just like, and he basically just said to me, so what player, so what kind of player are you? I, and, and that was like the very first question he asked so I was just like oh like I'm a committed player I love winning headers I like I love like defending and that's like like my main job and that's what I love doing and everything and he was like okay he said well a bit of, he said a bit of background on me he said I see myself as a bit of a Alex Ferguson Jose Mourinho type of manager and I was like oh okay and then he was telling me all about what was happening at Newport saying that he was bringing in 12 new players and um, they're not doing so well and they're in the relegation going and everything's going terrible and he wants to bring in new like 12 new lads and I was just thinking like this if, if I, it gives me a chance to play yeah I'll come play so we sat there talking for a while and normally you go back to Luton and say oh Newport are looking to sign me like I'll, I'll see out the rest of my contract or all these different contract talks for like mutual consent and stuff like that to kind of uh, see out the contract and he never gave me that time he sat in front of me and said okay so do you want to come in training Thursday and we and this was like on the Tuesday he goes do you want to come in training Thursday and I said yeah he goes all right he said we'll phone your chairman here and we'll sort it here now and I was thinking oh no <laughs> so we found the chairman he didn't answer so I thought oh, right he didn't answer it gives me a bit of time to be able to go back and speak to Luton and see where I'm at and then uh, he goes I'll try it again. So we tried it again and I'm sitting there. So he's on the phone trying to discuss my end of contract with the last six months that I've got. He's trying to sit there, discuss that. And as he's discussing that, I'm sitting there and he puts me on the phone and they say, to, and that's when Luton knew they could like offer me anything and they knew I'd have to leave because they, the way he put it to me was, he goes, you can come back here and not play for six months. Or he said, you've got a team sitting right in front of you now that you can go train on Thursday and start playing Saturday. So I just thought, all right, I'll accept. So once there and then I went back and packed all my bags and I was down in Newport with a Thursday and started that Saturday. And like I say, it was just like a roller coaster with things. And by the end of that season, I ended up playing 20 odd games at the end of that season, going from no games to 20 games and then scored on my first ever professional goal and not realizing the significance of the goal when it went in. Yeah. But uh, I'll never forget it. Like it was. It was only after when I signed my new two-year contract with them that I was able to... I had, like, all, like, the youth team staff. I had, like, they do community stuff. I had all them people come over to me and they were like, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have a job. And I used to... I, I was just more happy that it was my first ever professional goal. Yeah. And the fact that I was able to get... Because the deal that me and 
Graham Wesley kind of agreed on was if I end up staying up, if if we end up staying up, so I took a gamble as well, and it was the kind of he liked the mentality of putting a challenge up to you. Yeah. So his challenge to me was, he goes, "Would you be able to help us stay our relegation?" And I said, "Yeah, definitely." And he was like, "All right." Then he said, "Here's um," he goes, "Here's a challenge for you." He said, "If we end up staying up, he said you'll get your off season like payment as you always do, mm-hmm. and you'll and like you'll fulfill your contract and like we'll be able to offer you another one." And he said, "If we don't stay up, he said you don't get paid and we won't have a contract." <laughs> And I just shook his hand there and then and said, all right. And like I say, when that goal went in, like I was thinking, it's my first goal. I'm hopefully going to get a contract and I'm getting paid. That was the only thing that went through my head. Like, <laughs> but then getting to know Newport and getting to see what it meant to the fans, to everybody in and around the club, it was it was so much more to it. And that's why it was probably something that will always stick out for me. Yeah, well, that's amazing. Go on, Luke. You say you've got some questions on. <laughs> look at him smiling already. <laughs> it's just when I was looking at the managers you would played under, when I saw Graham Wesley's name mentioned, I, I just I had to ask this because I'm a Burnley yeah. fan. One of our closest rivals is Preston, and they were at Preston. They didn't have a good time there, um, and there were this story. And I found I, I just quickly got the text up because I thought I need to read this out to get the reaction. Was it fighting? You, you are sorry. Was it fighting? It's just a ridiculous text that he sent it be- the night before a match. So I wanted to ask okay. you, first of all, did you ever have any weird texts off Graham Wesley? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll like read this I'll... out. I'll read this out. Like this is the night, night before a game, right? A manager's first week at a club is difficult for everybody. There is loads of apprehension, uncertainty and change. I promise honesty and I will always do my best to give that. Certainly I will open my door for a chat about anything on your mind or if I have something you need to know. I'll be constructive with you all. My job is to get you all playing to your best level ever and you will. This week your work has been on and he just lists lots of different like you know, ball, personality, character. Hopefully things that have been done or said to you or others have helped you learn. Hopefully you are starting to feel how I work. Today there are two debutants and two more lads who weren't on the field last Saturday in the starting eleven. My sides are renowned for being strong, organised, physical and athletic. They always will be. Also, although nobody ever talks about it, my sides play intelligent, thought-provoking football, dominating possession and crushing opponents with sheer malice. (laughs) <laughs> we win games mentally, technically, tactically, physically, and bodily. My aim is to my next medal. You can call me Mr. Medals. My aim is my next win. My commitment is every ounce of sweat, blood, and brain. I'm sure you are with me. If you are not, get out. I am truly looking forward to working with you all. Let's get going. Let's win medals. Sorry this has been sent so late. That was at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and you think that's strange that sounds exactly like him like the thing is right like don't get me wrong he was someone who gave me the opportunity when i was down and out and i'll always be grateful for that yeah. but it's an experience that messages like that are every week <laughs> you get like you'd get messages about how your performance was individually like he, he would he would then um, send you out a message saying, "Okay, lads. Um, so who like what do we think was the weak link in the team today?" And you have to text them back or else 
we'll have a meeting the next day and he'll, he'll say to you to your face well why didn't you message me back um you you and you didn't text back boy so like you have to always message back and he used to like do group group texts of like motivational stuff and you'd get like a long list exactly like messages like that about um we want to be six games unbeaten like if we were in the change room he had his own music playlist in a game <laughs> and like the songs that we were going through we had a story for every song so like we were playing Doncaster on a Friday night and they were top of the league so he had his own foot he had his own playlist on and like they were just songs like there was like Daddy Cool there was Who Let The Dogs Out there was Blue Best In Me um, there was Eye Of The Tiger and there was another song so like obviously these songs are just playing from his phone and he dances in the change room and everything so as he finishes up he goes into his team talk and his team talk was right lads now i know he's probably weren't paying attention but see the songs that we're playing there's a meaning to every song so he goes to each song individually like i the tiger and i the tiger because we're going out to battle and we're going to like go 12 rounds with these out there and we're going to go the full length like the top of the league whatever and then he goes daddy kill and daddy kill is me walking through me walking through Selfridges with me two children while the Sky Sports cameras follow me. And that song's playing in the background after I keep Newport to safety. Um, Best in Me was the blue song. It's a slow song, but um, he said, Best in Me, he said, I want you to bring out the best in me because I'm trying to bring out the best in you. like, we're all in this together and all that. And then, who let the dogs out? Um, <laughs> Who let the dogs out was because he said, a dog is a beast. And he said, a beast. And he said, you take the A out of that and it says it's the best. So he said, I want you to be the best beast. So <laughs> we're kind of thinking, okay. And then he goes, right, lads, we're going to go out. So then as uh, we're getting the knock on the door by the referee, Doncaster already lined up outside the changing room. And he t- like the hour speaker was next to the door. So he turns up, who let the dogs out? as loud as he can, opens up the door and like starts like barking at us as we're going out <laughs> and starts singing the song. So like we're kind of walking out heads down thinking, oh no, here we go. Like these are probably looking at us thinking, what are you playing at? But like, we, like, like I said, like he's someone that he has, like he, he's very, he is like, he's very into his motivation and he's very into his uh, like frame of mind and he's very into like positive thinking and positive things will happen. What motivates you and stuff like that. And, that's his kind of route and his training is very 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 physical and very difficult like like sometimes like he will get you very fit but then he gets you very fit to the brink of where you're thinking you're gonna burn out every single week because he used to always say if you run 10 kilometers in training 10 10 kilometers in a game like it'll be it'll be easy mm-hmm. and i used to be thinking like by the time i get to a game i won't be able to run <laughs> at all let alone 10 kilometers so it was a uh, it was interesting, but like I say, he, he was someone that actually gave me that opportunity, and uh, I was lucky enough that everything kind of worked out. Mm, certainly yeah. sounds a character does all Mr. Medals. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Medals, I love that. But I don't know what, which one I can say. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. So the last question I've got before, if it's all right, we'll go into like a little Pro 5 quiz is so earlier on in the year um you have retired from professional football can you just tell us a bit a little bit about what's obviously come about your decision and uh, why you've made it uh, it was this it was the same as when i was 16 i had the, the 
decision whether I want the tissue valve or valve uh, from my second heart. And a mechanical valve, like obviously, means that I need to go on uh, blood thinners, which means obviously you can't play contact or physical sport. So um, I had to make the decision when I was sixteen. But I also I always said when I was sixteen, whenever whenever I have to have my next operation, I said I'm getting a mechanical valve in and I'm gonna call it a day because the first operation was to try and fulfil a football career, and the next one is just basically so I can try and have a life then, and I have to try and worry about year after year when's gonna be my next one and stuff. So um that's where that all came about and i just thought having the mechanical valve in um was always going to be the next step and it's something that had to happen and it was something that uh i don't really like think about as a as a bad decision it was more of i knew from 16 i've had 10 11 years to think about it like it was something that um i knew was always going to come and the fact i think I, I knew the operation was going to be difficult and I just probably underestimated how much I was probably going to miss football even as much as I don't regret anything and I, and I don't wish I I don't like wish I still had another five years to do a lot more I just think football was something where I always said maybe after football I mightn't want to stay in it and I mightn't want to do coaching or stay in and around football because I've had it for my whole life and then now that it got taken away um it's kind of been a godsend to me to have that and like I, i've 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 struggled i'd say probably more mentally with this operation than i ever have because not only i was dealing with trying to recover from the heart stuff again i was dealing with retirement not knowing what my next step was not knowing anything and now that the club have like obviously been brilliant with me and they've uh helped me like just try so many different experiences that i never thought I'd enjoy just like if I went into the analysis room and I'd sit and go through some games and I'd sit there and watch games of football and give my take on what I see and then also um, do the home commentary on, on match days and all just little events like that and they're looking to uh, do different things media wise they want me to try and, and, and do stuff like that so um, like I, I like I'm just I, I still I'm unsure whether I if I want to go into coaching and stuff but it's it's something that like I had ruled out probably while I was playing and now that I'm not playing and it's been one of them decisions that had to be made it's something where I look at now and I say I'd probably love to go into coaching I I, I, I need to stay around football to kind of keep me mentally switched on because we're out for a while while I was in hospital and once I came out of hospital it was something that like it was something that was missing like I was missing the structure and the I was missing the routines of waking up, going into training, and have, going out for a game on a Saturday. And now I've got kind of the equivalent to that to still go into training each day and go commentate on a Saturday. It's kind of a routine, but not just obviously going out to play. So um, it's it's been difficult to get my head around, but also uh, I've been, like I've loved like all the new experiences as well. No, you've had you've had an absolute incredible career anyway, and. Uh, absolute class player so I think you can look back on everything that you've done and feel in a way quite privileged to have been sort of where you are your ability on the pitch speaks for itself so yeah. thank you Josh I'll let you uh, go into your yeah uh, with, with every guest we just do a quick five questions about 
your career. It's called the Tommy Lee Pro 5 Quiz. I don't know if you know Tommy, uh, former Chesterfield goalkeeper. He was the first to get five out of five on the quiz, so he earned the naming rights. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we'll go yeah. straight. So it's, it's nothing too serious, but, um, yeah. So, number one, uh, you scored three league goals in your career, all of them for Newport County. Who were they against? You touched touched on your first earlier. I'm sure you know who that one were against. <laughs> The first one was Knox County. Yeah. Then the second one was Swindon and Oldham. Yeah, I think that other way around. Oldham was your second one, but I mean, you've, you've, you've got it right. <laughs> Oldham in 20. That's what it is, yeah. In the 1920. So, yeah. One, one, one point. Uh, number two, you made most of your career appearances for Newport County. Which Newport teammate did you share the pitch with on the most occasions? I've got uh, three options. And uh, yeah, I mean, so the first okay. one, Mickey Dimitriou. I, second one is Podrag Amond. And I'm, well, I apologize. I apologize if he, if he, if he watches this, just say Dimitriou. <laughs> Dimitriou, there you go. I, I, I'm reading these names. I'm like, oh, and then C is Joe Dang. I can say that. <laughs> so it's Mickey, Podrag, or Joe. <laughs> oh. And they're very, very close. One is 96, one is 94, and one is 93. That's a tough one. Like, I, I spent a lot of time on the pitch with Mickey. Are you going, Mickey? Uh. I'm going to say probably Mickey. I think it's Joe Day. <laughs> it's Mickey, 96. <laughs> Joe Day was 93. Uh, Podrick, I'm on 94. So, yeah, two out of two. Um, number three, you received four red cards in your career. <laughs> <laughs> Who were they against? Um... Four red cards. Again, one uh, one will stick. I'm gonna out. say one was Luton. Yeah. Uh, one was Lincoln. Yeah, Lincoln one was on 23rd of December. Did you just fancy Christmas off or? <laughs> <laughs> See, that's when I was getting more experienced in football. I knew exactly <laughs> what I needed to do. Uh. Tranmere. Yeah, playoff final. And one more. And this yeah. was for Motherwell. Oh. Dundee. Oh, it was Hamilton. Hamilton. Oh, it was in the cup. <laughs> yeah, it was. Scottish League Cup, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it, it, it was named there. <laughs> so, as you mean to go on? <laughs> when, um, when we've, I've asked that question to, to most guests, and we've never had a single guest say that they got a deserved red card. <laughs> so, were any of your four deserved, or was it terrible referee? <laughs> <laughs> um, the Lincoln one that I would have said was deserved. I try and I try and cover up that it wasn't. Uh, the two yellow cards against Luton probably was deserved. 
the playoff <laughs> final wasn't deserved and Hamilton if you watch that back you'll get to actually see it on YouTube that definitely wasn't deserved <laughs> well, well we'll believe you because you've, you've admitted to two of them it's, it's when they come on and they've had seven red cards and yeah. you're like oh, I never touched him that's a prick <laughs> every time <laughs> um, right okay question four which team were your favourite opponents? And by that, I mean, who did you win the most games against? And again, it's a choice of three. It's Mansfield Town, Cambridge United, or Morecambe? Cambridge United. Easy. Yeah, correct. Five wins out of six. So you must have looked forward to, to coming up against them. Oh, we loved that. Literally, <laughs> if we had them like in every competition, we knew it was nearly a clear on win. Yeah. It's a great record. And, uh, and finally, question five on the Tommy Lee Pro 5 quiz. You've played under 10 managers in your career. Can you name five of them? And there is a couple who, who you've you sort of played under but never made an appearance. So we, we, we don't, uh, don't allow them, unfortunately. <laughs> so oh, I'm going to say Nigel Clough. Yep. John Steele. Two. Stuart McCall. Three. Graham Wesley, Michael Flynn, Ian Barraclough, <laughs> uh, Nathan Jones, Steve McLaren. You've, you've gone eight, you needed five, so <laughs> we'll give you a point. Who, um, who was your favourite? We've, we've obviously heard all about. <laughs> I was just trying to see if I actually knew them all. Yeah. Um, who was your favourite manager to work under? This isn't a quiz question. <laughs> <laughs> no right or wrong. <laughs> no, I think, <laughs> I think like me, me favorite, me favorite one. Uh, I like, for, like there's different reasons for different ones, but I think Nigel Clough would be my favorite for the, obviously for how he stood by me and like kind of created <laughs> me into the person I was and gave me the chance of a career. But then also Steve McLaren. I loved his, his, I loved his training sessions, and he, in a way, developed my other side of the game and like the understanding of if you're gonna play out from the back and do stuff like that. Um, defensively, like he, he, he was, he was brilliant to, to train under and see a different kind of regime to what I was used to. Um, even to the new park manager now, him and Wayne Hatswell. Uh, his assistant, like they stuck by me through a lot down here, and um, so yeah, I'd say they were they were my top three. I'd go Nigel Clough, McLaren, and Michael Flynn in the top yeah. three in that order. Brilliant. So last thing, Mark, if it's all right before we leave, um, we like to get guest score predictions for our three teams who we support. So I support Derby. Josh Sports Man United and Luke Sports Burnley. So, the weekend's fixtures. Could I get your score prediction for Derby versus Wickham? I'm going to say 2-1 two, two, Derby. You think they're going to turn it around, the terrible run of form at the moment? Yeah, I, I, I think like the, 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 it's been like rough at the moment and stuff like that and there's like so much indecision but I think like they've got too much quality in the team not to turn around and obviously with McLaren back I think they'll they'll turn it around. Yeah. 
Well, I certainly hope so, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, next game is Man City <laughs> versus Burnley. Fucking hell. <laughs> oh, I'm going to say Man City 4 0. Can't argue with that. I can't. <laughs> Nick Pope's injured as well. Is he? <laughs> yeah, so we've got Bailey Peacock. Farrell. Farrell making his debut. You <laughs> sounded from Leeds, didn't you? Yeah. About two seasons ago, weren't it? Yeah. But, uh, so the last one I've got for you is Southampton versus Man United. Oh. I'm going to say a two-all draw. Even though I'm a man and you fan myself. <laughs> I think I think I'm going for a draw in that one as well. They're mm. on a good run, aren't they, Southampton? Yeah. So uh to all and I've asked this question on uh, quite a few of them <laughs> who's been a Man United fan, but would you be sticking with Oli Gunnar Solskjaer or would you sack him? <laughs> oh blunt. I'm so blunt at that, but it's, it's honest. I, I think it's difficult because when it's a team like Man United, you're expecting miracles to happen here and now, but so many teams that go through transitions of managers constantly and they're looking... like Because you can't turn around and say Mourinho's not a good manager in Van Hal. I think it's more to do with the players than it is the actual management. So I think if he's able to get his results and get a bit more structure to him, stick with him because you do have to stick with managers a bit more. But I think he's on the tightrope now where I think he, he, he will end up uh, getting the sack sooner rather than later because at Man United, you can't really see teams like that waiting around they want to hear and now especially with the likes of Liverpool's and cities and Arsenal's all kind of making that headway that they are falling behind yeah yeah completely agree with that but uh, thank you very much Mark as well for coming on massively appreciate it yeah it's yes, great thank mate you. thank you so much no enjoyed it all the best for your future in, in coaching as well yeah. all right mate Cheers, thanks. Thank you very much. Thanks Cheers, Mark. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. What a top lad Mark O'Brien is and a very bad internet connection. But <laughs> nevertheless, he was a sound bloke. So, right, let's get into our score predictions. And last week, Derby versus Wickham. Josh, you had 1-0 Derby. Yeah, I, uh, I had faith in Rooney. Um, I don't know why. No, I don't. I, I didn't think there'd be many goals, and there wasn't. Um, but yeah, you you really are in trouble. Um, this will go out when you've played Coventry, so we we obviously don't know what what's happening there yet. But I guess you're going to lose again, um, and maybe Rooney won't be in charge next week. I don't know. Um, but yeah, you, you need to start winning, otherwise you yeah you're going down. I had exactly the same uh, derby twin. It weren't. We just can't we can't score goals. I look watch the game, absolutely played fine. Played absolutely fine. Getting balls in box. Colin Kazim Richards, I know he's won from pass, but he played very well. He was he played, played 
Yeah, he started him and he played very well. I'm not joking. Probably Derby fans out there might say the same, might not, might think I'm a prick. But <laughs> we played we played very well and we just don't score. I don't know what it is. I, I, I do believe we had the chance to be probably 3-0 up before half-time, but we weren't and we drew 1-1. Matt Bloomfield scored an alright sloppy goal. So credit to Wickham. They battled on and they got a draw. So... It can't is argue with it. Because with Rooney and Colin Kazim Richards, I mean, in 2009, you'd have been really good. Wait. Colin Kazim Richards was playing for Derby. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, God, it's not great. But anyway, Luke, you had a 1 0 Wickham. Yeah. Um, is it because we had Colin Kazim Richards? <laughs> I'd have gone for 5 0. How old is he? Anywhere between 32 and 34. <laughs> might be 90, might have a Zimmer frame, I'm not sure. I thought you'd lose. And uh, a draw's probably an all right result in the yeah. circumstances. We need to be picking up points. But Right, we'll move on quickly to Man City versus Burnley. Luke, you had 4-0 Man City and you weren't far off. No, I thought we might, might do better than we have for the last five years, but we did the same. We've lost five consecutive games at the Etihad, 5-0. I mean, so, you've, you've broken the... Uh... Credit to Dice, he tried something different, which usually just literally puts the same formation out of the way at Etihad and, and thinks, oh, this will be the year it does it, Pep or Mancini or whoever can't handle it. But he, he actually did, he went three up front away at Man City. Um, with two central midfielders, one of which was an 18-year-old making his debut, who actually played, not 18, like 20, um, who, were, who were all right, to be fair. And we had Nick Pope injured for one game with concussion from the Palace game. Um, so Bailey Peacock Farrell played, and I don't mean to be harsh, but he did have them there. He weren't at fault for any of the actual five goals. But he gave away two own goals, which were both ruled ruled out by VAR, <laughs> and they were <laughs> they were terrible. He punched the ball into his own net on one, and then and on the other, he made a really good save, but then kind of like he saved it and then threw it back into his own goal. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, he didn't have a good game, bless him. But yeah, it, you know, there were never any chance of anything for us there for whatever reason. It just doesn't work what Dice does against Guardiola. Well, we all got two points from that one. Joshua had 2 0, and I had. Oh, no, Joshua had 3 0, and I had 2 0. And yeah. then on to our last game was Southampton versus Man United. Joshua had 2 1. Uh, yeah, I thought there'd be a lot of goals. Um, both teams quite poor defensively. Um, United started well, then they scored, and we were terrible. Southampton could have had three or four in that 20 minutes before half-time. But second half, we absolutely battered him. Um, Cavani looked every bit the, the striker that he's looked before and every bit the thing that we're missing. Marshall ain't really a striker. Mm. Um, so he needs a good, a good run of games now. Yeah. yeah. Luke, you went opposite and had Southampton to win 1-0. Yeah, I thought they would. They've been playing really well, but credit to United. At the end of the day, I think when you see them go two and up, I think you're 
thinking it's pretty much nearly sealed, isn't it? But Man United did very well to yeah. fight back and get three points there. But Josh, I mean, you got two points from that one as well. So we had four points for the week. And uh, Luke, you had two, which in total takes me to 44, Josh to 14, and Luke to 24. I'm on the charge. Watch on the charge, nearly taking Luke on. So now this week's fixtures to predict will be Millwall versus Derby. Josh, I'll start with you. Hmm. Millwall have been pretty poor. I was looking just before we came on, but not as bad as you. Um, <laughs> I was a bit of as look, mate. Two nil Millwall. Luke, I'm just checking out Millwall's recent form now. Lots of draws. Yeah, three points out of the last five. Five, no, no, not, five draws in a row, Millwall. Where are they in league? About fifteenth. Uh, I'm not sure. Five maybe draws, a bit, maybe five a bit in a row. Um, I don't know why I'm looking. It's, it's at Millwall, isn't it? So. I can't see anything but a nil wall win. I, I can't. Yeah. One nil. Two. Oh. Two nil. I think we're going to win against Coventry into the future. And then we're going to beat Millwall one nil. That's what I'm going to say. And it's going to be Rooney still as manager into the future. <laughs> but right, Burnley versus Everton, Luke. They're not doing great now. Very, very good. I, I still have faith in us against any team that isn't the top six with our first choice team out, especially at Turf Moor. Especially after getting twatted by Man City. I'm going to say 1 0, Burnley. Josh? Uh, yeah, Everton have been crap since they drew with Liverpool. They had a really good start, drew with Liverpool. Ended Van Dyke's season, and um, <laughs> well, they've been shit ever since. Um, and Burnley looked quite good. Um, Not against Man City. No, but they were bouncing back as well, weren't they? I think you, you Villa forgot that already. Uh, I'll go Burnley. Um, did you say one nil, Luke? I'll say two nil. And I'm going to say one one in that game on the fence. West Ham versus Man United, Josh. Uh, West Ham have started well, but United are going to win league. Ollie's at the wheel. <laughs> Cavani's best player in the world. Three Family months. affair, isn't it? <clears throat> eh? Family affair. It is, yeah. Um, so we'll not be speaking, whatever happens. <laughs> right, Luke. 1-3 um, to United. I'm going to say 1-0 West Ham. I'm going to go completely opposite on every single fixture this week. So... <laughs> I'm getting zero points. Josh will be at the top, man. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's the end of this week's Pine Pipe podcast. Make sure you are joining us next week for Ollie Banks. See you then. Bye-bye. Pie and a pint. Pie and a pint. Pie and a pint. Pie and a pint.